So the book of Acts, today we're going to kind of cover what some have called the birth of the church. And then next week, Lord willing, we'll go over the growth of the church. And so just like with any other birth, it's just so supernatural. It's completely supernatural. And we're going to see it here. Notice what we read in Acts 2. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And it's cool for us as a church, we're now going through the book of Acts, we're going through the book of Psalms, and I think God is going to use these two books uh, for us. I know in me, I'm really looking forward to it in a powerful way. You know, to have the book of Acts in your heart, you know, is so important. This is Jesus building the church. This is the book of Acts continuing today. And so what I thought I should do, because I have the tendency to go really in-depth is maybe go a little bit you know, more fast, to cover more ground. And so I just want you guys to get like a bird's eye view of what's going on here. Now here in verse 1, we have the, the day of Pentecost had fully come. This is one of the feasts of the, the Jews. It was the feast of the first fruits. And we're going to see today that there is this harvest that they will have. As a matter of fact, by the time we're done, 3,000 souls are going to be added to the church. And so here we read that they were there, it says in verse 1, with one accord in one place. And whenever you want God to move, whether it be in your family or the flock or the ministry that you oversee, there must be a unity. And that's what we see in the church, that's what we see in the book of Acts over and over again. We read that Last week in chapter 1, verse 14, that they all continued with one accord in prayer. We will read it again in Acts 2.46, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple. We'll see it in chapter 4, verse 24, so when they heard that, they raised their voices to God with one accord. And then again in Acts chapter 5, verse 12, it says, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. You know, there's that unity that we need. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's beautiful. There's power in it. And, you know, as a result of that, you know, you guys, guys got to know, God wants unity, and therefore the devil will fight it tooth and nail. The, the devil is a divisive being, and he'll come in and he'll put thoughts and, you know, situations to, to divide the family, to divide the flock, you know, he would love to divide husband and wife and parents and children. And what I would say to you today is don't let him. Don't let him do that. He tries to divide us. We ought to fight it with all our heart. And what we find is that, you know, this is something that can happen in any family, in any flock. It can happen in any church, even a healthy church. Uh, the book of Philippians was written to a pretty healthy church, but they experienced friction as well. And so Paul wrote to them in Philippians 2.2, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. 
And so I know it's hard. You know, you got some people that let you down. I mean, you know, we're, we're just human. We're going to fail each other at times. But whatever you do, don't let the enemy come in there and then, you know, just bring you to a point where you become, you know, bitter or, you know, resentful or you try to, you know, ostracize individuals or you're starting, you know, to talk bad about someone in the church or, or whatever. You cut off ties with your you know, your kids or something. Don't let the enemy do that. When there is division, there is weakness. But when there is unity based on, on the grace of God, then there's power. You see, and that's what the early church had. They, they were one. They were in, in one accord. The truth is, at the end of the day, you know, weak things united become strong. And that's what will happen to us as a church. If we allow those petty differences to fall by the wayside and we unite in Christ. That's what the early church did. And so as they're there, they're united, they're praying as one. The Holy Spirit then came as Christ had promised. Remember, we read that in Acts 1.8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That was a promise back in Luke 24, 49, at Terry in Jerusalem until you're endued with power, right? I mean, this is something Jesus had promised back in John 14, 16, and 17. I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Is there anyone here today that needs help? I mean, come on, you guys. You know, we need help. We need God's help. And, and if we get God's help, is there anything we can't do? I mean, this is the promise of the power of God for us as his people. You know, we read in Acts uh, that God would come in chapter 1, verse 8, that the Holy Spirit would come upon them. And this is a different preposition. You know, when Jesus was talking to his disciples, he said, the Holy Spirit's with you. The Greek word is para. And that's before you become a Christian, He's around you, convicting you of sin, showing you need salvation. But then the moment that you get saved, the Holy Spirit then comes and lives in you. You become the temple of God the moment, the split second that you're saved. But that's not enough. You know, in John 20, 22, the Bible says that Jesus breathed on the apostles and they received the Holy Spirit. And so he came to live in them. But we see here that the Lord says, even though you know, you're, you got the Holy Spirit in you. Don't go anywhere. Don't do anything because you really can't do anything unless you're filled with the Holy Spirit, unless he comes upon you. You guys, and for a lot of us here, uh, and I, I'm, I, I, I have bad days too. I have, you know, moments too. That's what's going on in your life. That's why you keep hitting your head against that same wall. That's why you keep stumbling over that same stone. That's why, you know, we don't have the joy that we should have, the peace that we should have. I mean, it's not based on your circumstances. It'll never be based on your circumstances while you're living on planet Earth because there's always things going on here. There's always reasons to worry when we get our eyes off the Lord. The peace that God provides is beyond the circumstances or situations. No matter what you're going through, God can give you peace when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. See, and that's where they were. Luke 11, it talks about praying. And I think that's so important. 
You know, not, not doubting, but praying, and then not disobeying, not grieving the Spirit, not quenching the Spirit. When you do, you're like, Lord, I believe that your power is available to me, then he will fill you. You know, and that's what we're going to see in this text, you know, that the Holy Spirit came upon them, and it says right there, there was this sound uh, as of a rushing mighty wind. And I was thinking about having them play a sound effect, but I don't want to scare you guys, you know, but... You know, just can you hear it? I mean, to me, I'm thinking it was probably like a hurricane, you know, sound. I mean, you know, the breath of God, I think, is really what it was. And there, there was not only the sound, but there was the sight. There were tongues of fire upon each of them. And so you would look at one, and you would see the tongue of fire over them. Uh, again, probably a hurricane. Uh, that's pointing to God's power. But the thing about it is that it's not God's wind or power to, you know, tear down a house. It's the power of God to change lives. We're going to see even today the power of God to save lives. That's what, what's going on here. You know, the, the tongues of fire, you know, we see that it's interesting when you look at the, the tongues of fire. The Jews always believed that the law or the Ten Commandments was given on the same day that the day of Pentecost fell. And so when the, the law was given, if you read the Old Testament, you'll see that the mountain, it shook, and the fire from heaven fell. That's basically what we're seeing here. God is just saying, I'm showing up with all my awesomeness, and I'm making that power available to you. Not ultimately to speak in tongues, although that will be part of it, that's what they're going to do ultimately is to teach and to preach so that people would be saved. And that's what happens on this day of Pentecost. You know, I don't know if you guys have heard that song by Keith Green. Um, he sings the song, I think it's called Rushing Wind. Any of you guys remember that? Any of you guys old enough for that? <laughs> Rushing wind blow through this temple, blowing out the dust within. Come and breathe your breath upon me. I've been born again. You know, so we've been born again. We're saved, but that's not enough. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. You, you know, Jesus described the Holy Spirit with the wind in John chapter 3, verse 8. He, he said, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. You know, when you, how many, you guys, how many of you have seen the wind? You haven't really seen the wind, huh? You know, it's invisible, but you see the effects of it. And that's what happens when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of us. You know, you don't necessarily see the Holy Spirit, but you'll see the effects of someone. You know, later on, when they saw what was going on, they accused the guys of being drunk. You know, and you might read that and think, oh, that's just so bad. And, and it is kind of bad, but in one sense, it's kind of good. It would be like someone saying to you, when they see your life, I see that you're under the influence of something, something that's beyond you. And I, and I tell you what, I was reading G. Campbell Morgan on this, and he said, we should have people telling us things like that. Every once in a while, like, what, what, what are you on, you know? <laughs> you know, the Bible says in Ephesians 5.18, and don't be drunk with wine, in which is a wasted life, but be filled or drunk 
or under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, today we don't need to tarry in rooms. Uh, we don't need like a, a repetition of Pentecost, but we do need an appropriation of this power right here. And when we have that, you know, God will work in us the way that we are longing for. So we read in, in verse 5, And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together, and they were confused. Now I'm not sure if it was the wind that they heard, that was what brought them, or the, or the tongues, but you know, everyone came together. They heard um, them speak in his own language. And then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? He goes on to mention 15 different nations, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya, joining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Christians and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they are full of new wine. And so some people believe that the upper room may have actually been a rented room near the temple and therefore, because uh, they, they said really to fit 120 people, you'd probably have to go and, and rent something near the temple. Um, and so you have you know, them in the upper room, and then you have these thousands of people. Where would they come from? Well, they were there at the temple as well because they were celebrating the Feast of Pentecost. You know, the Feast of Pentecost was one of three main feasts uh, for the Jews, which included the Feast of Tabernacles and the Feast of Passover. Now, if you live within 20 uh, miles of Jerusalem, you are required to attend these three feasts. If you live farther than that, then you were required to at least attend one of these three feasts. And so all that basically to say that there were maybe some say three million Jews in that area at that time. I mean, it's just a, a whole bunch of Jews had come to celebrate that feast. And, uh, and as they're there, we're going to see in our text in, in this portion that there's two questions they ask. Uh, in verse 8, uh, they ask that question, how? Look, notice again in verse 8, uh, how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? And then in verse 12, they ask, well, whatever could this mean? I mean, imagine that. Imagine if we all, you know, broke out in tongues. I mean, you know, that would be kind of weird, Right? Everybody's speaking in, in foreign languages, maybe even in angelic language and a, an unknown language. Uh, I'll be honest with you, when we went to Cambodia, we saw something like this. And uh, I'll never forget that night. It was pretty amazing. Um, it wasn't as pure as this, because uh, this, is, this is the day of Pentecost. I mean, there was nothing bad there. That, that day, though, that night, we were in Cambodia, and uh, all of a sudden, we heard like these languages. We heard like people, I don't know, loud, loud. And we're on the other side of the, of the campus, and we could hear it. And so, you know, when we hear it, we all just gravitate towards it. 
And we go up on the, on the roof. It was on the roof there in Cambodia. And they were all speaking in tongues. The Holy Spirit had fallen upon some of them. Others, uh, it, it didn't happen. And then the enemy came in. It was a real interesting night. But I, I experienced this. We saw this. You can ask any, any of the group that went to Cambodia. And, uh, and it, was, it was pretty cool. Now, there's a mixture of things and... You know, we have to try to decipher through all that. But this right here was the pure work of God. And they were all speaking in tongues. And, uh, and so as these guys are there and they, were, and they were listening, they asked, how could this be? I mean, these guys are Galileans. They're from Almani. I don't get it, you know. <laughs> speaking in French and, you know, all, you know, all the different languages. And, and so, you know, they're not only asking how could it happen, but then they're asking, well, what does it mean? And I think that's cool. I think that we should have that type of logistics, that type of reasoning. You know, again, reading through uh, G. Campbell Morgan, he's such a great commentator on the book of Acts, and he was talking about how, you know, that, that signs do happen, you know, that, that you see miracles, and we see it especially in third world countries, we see it here, I think, through changed lives. And there should be that question, how? How did that happen? How did you change? You used to be a, a, a drug addict, or you used to be a selfish person, or you used to be a drunk, or you, you, know, you used to be in the world. I mean, how did this happen? How were you healed? How did the demon come out? You know, and so it's really cool. And, and then you know, Peter's basically going to say it's the Holy Spirit. And then, well, what does it mean? What does that mean? And we're going to see that it's so cool the way that this all gets broken down. How did it happen? It is the person of the Holy Spirit who has arrived? Whatever could this mean? And basically, we're going to see that it means there is a new covenant in Jesus Christ, right? And so it's kind of cool. I was uh, reading also Pastor Chuck's commentary on this. And he told a story, if you have the, the book of Acts, his commentary, you can read it in there. He told the story of um, how um, one night they were having an afterglow. And uh, he said there was a lady in their church who spoke French whenever she spoke in tongues. It, he said it was fascinating to hear her, especially because, you know, she never studied French. She didn't know it. And so one Sunday night in the early days of Calvary Chapel, he said that it happened to be a Pentecost Sunday, so we decided to have a time of prayer after the study, and the woman began to speak in tongues. And I guess Pastor Chuck did study a little bit of French, so he picked up on a couple of French words, uh, song, love, joy, because I guess he had studied uh, actually Latin, and so he picked up on those words. But then he said his wife Kay, who doesn't, didn't know Latin or French, she began interpreting what the lady was saying. And uh, he, she said that the woman was thanking the Lord for giving her a new song, a song of love and joy. Because that's what they were speaking. When they were speaking in tongues, they weren't preaching a message. They were just speaking the praises of God, the wonderful works of God, right? And so this lady, uh, Kay, interpreted it as uh, thanking God for giving her a new song of love and joy. And Pastor Chuck then thought about how significant it was for her to be thanking the Lord for the new song because before she was a Christian, she had been a nightclub singer. And so he was blessed by that. And so he said that night, uh, I guess it was already something that had been set up 
there was a man who brought his friend from Palm Springs. He said, I want you to talk to her after service. And so after everyone had gone, he said, we sat down. And she said, before I get to my problem, I, I want to ask you, what was that all about? She said, um, the, the woman speaking in French and the other lady interpreting in English. Uh, I said, would you believe neither of them speaks French? Pastor Chuck said, you know, she's asking, how, how did, the, and he's, Pastor Chuck said, neither of them speak French. And then the lady gave a, a, a funny look. She said, you're kidding me. Because, um, you know, the, 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 I guess the lady that came that he was going to see, he said that he, she completely understood French. And she said that not only did the lady speak perfect French and the interpretation was flawless, but he said that she spoke with a certain uh, French, uh, he called it an aristocratic accent. And I thought that was kind of cool. Not only did he give her the language, he gave her the accent <laughs> in French. And I'll tell you what, because I know some of you here, you might doubt. i tell you what, there is story after story after story, especially in the early days of Calvary, where those things would happen. See, this is true. I mean, I speak in tongues. I do it in my, my prayer closet. You know, we've had a few afterglows here. We need to have more. But what it is, is it's a sign. And God said, I'm coming. And now there's this power of the Holy Spirit. This is how it happened. And so... You know, they're wondering, what could it mean? Ah, they're just drunk. And so it's at this point that Peter stands up and he does what's very important, that is he gives biblical support for the sign. In verse 14, it says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only the third hour of the day. And that would be 9 a.m., too early. He said, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he goes on to quote Joel 2, 28 through 32. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. And so I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so Peter stands up. It's a different Peter. It's a completely different man. That's what happens when you're filled with the Spirit. You know, when I have to check my own heart, you know, am I the same man that I used to be? I mean, there should be a complete transformation. Prior to this, of course, we know Peter denied the Lord. He was defeated probably by a 14-year-old girl. Now he's different. And no matter who you are, you can be different as you experience the power of God in your life. You know, Peter stands up and he raises his voice. He says, they're not drunk. It's way too early. No, this is a fulfillment of Joel 2, 28 through 32, 
And I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm thinking. And, and some people say, well, it was a spontaneous sermon, and it could have been. But I'll bet you almost anything he had been studying this. And he memorized these passages. He says, this is the explanation of what's going on because the Lord had promised that the Spirit would come, right? He says, no, this is a fulfillment of the Scriptures. Now, in verses 17 through 18, in quoting Joel, it come to pass in the last days and that, that God would pour out His Spirit, right, on all flesh. And, and your, your sons and daughters shall prophesy, young men see visions, old men dream dreams. I don't think that that's exclusively a phenomenon necessarily, you know, given to the age group or gender. You might think, well, I'll, when I'm old, I'll dream. When I'm young, I'll have visions. No. I think these are all things that are available to all of us. You know, yesterday we did a wedding here, and it was a wedding. Uh, some of you know Janet and Sarai. Okay, so Janet is Cambodian, but she had, had never gone to Cambodia, and so she lived here. You know, I was praying for God to bless her with a husband, just like I'm sure all you single people are, right? And praying for a spouse in God's perfect timing, right? Anyways, um, the Lord took her to Cambodia where, not looking necessarily, but God just brought her a man. And uh, he, was, he was a good man. You know, he, he's a Christian man, humble man. And when he first saw her, he said, she's beautiful, but he didn't want to look too long, you know? But... You know, he thought a lot, and this is what he told me. He said a lot of times the Americans go to Cambodia and they look down on us. He said, and I thought that she was like that. You know, because she's American. He said, but when I got to know her, I found out that not only was she beautiful on the outside, she was beautiful on the inside. She was humble. She was sincere. And the Lord just brought them together, okay? So she comes back to the States, now, what would you do if your daughter spent two weeks in a foreign country and came back and said, I met my husband? You know, well, most of you here would probably say, that ain't going to happen. You know, I think as a father, I would be like, there is no way, you know. But anyways, um, as they prayed about it, then what happened, you know? Mom got a dream. She got a dream from the Lord. And it was, you know, not every dream is from the Lord, you guys, so don't think it's always working that way. Sometimes you had too many tacos or something, right? <laughs> but it was, you just know when it's from the Lord that this guy was of the Lord. And then sister got a dream. She was another one that was fighting this whole thing. And then she got a dream. And then she got scriptures. How many of you here have had dreams in which God has spoken to you, just out of curiosity? Right? I know I have. I've had probably five dreams that I can say have been epic in my life where God has used them and has clearly spoken to me. So, you know, there's dreams, there's visions. I mean, there's prophecy. I've had prophecies, you know, over my life. I mean, this is just the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Of course, it has to be substantiated with Scripture, you know. The Bible even says that dreams compared to the Word, they're like chaff, okay? So it doesn't care, carry the weight that the Scriptures do. But if you, if you listen, you'll see every once in a while, God might be speaking in that way. And so, you know, Peter here, he's just saying, well, this is what's happening. It's all biblical. It's not weird. It's exactly what the scriptures say. You know, and again, we see this. We're going to see it later in the book of Acts, and we're going to see it in church history, visions, things that God does, right? You know, verse 18, it talks about servants, men servants, maid servants. I tell you what, if you want to serve the Lord, 
If you really want to serve the Lord, I'll bet you almost anything, the Spirit of the Lord will fall on you. That's what he's saying right here. It's going to happen. My, my men servants, my maid servants. And so he talks about church history here, and then in verses 19 and 20, he talks about the last three and a half years of the tribulation period, where all these things, where the world, physically, geographically, will begin to fall apart. And so it's all biblical, it's all scriptural. And then in verse 21 is interesting, he gets to what we're going to be moving towards, the, the whole issue of salvation. And, and now there's a new establishment. Now, when Jesus came, according to the Hebrews chapter 1, this, we're living now in the last days. They started when Jesus came. And how do you get saved in the last days? You just call on the name of the Lord. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I'm a sinner. And when you call on the name of the Lord, and we're going to see today, you know, that they say repent and be baptized. Um, um, here it just says call on the name of the Lord. In Acts 16.31, it just says believe. I mean, you know, there's no formula, but when that cry comes from your heart, you know, and I don't know, first service, most people are saved in first service. <laughs> but just in case you're here today and you're not saved and you don't know the Lord, all you have to do is call on him. That's all you have to do. Whoever you are, just call on the name of the Lord. And that's how you're saved. It's not hard. It's not hard, but you just have to acknowledge your need for him and humble yourself and accept him. So Peter, he gives the scriptural support as far as how it happens but then he goes on to say, well, what does it mean? In verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and put to death. You know, in verse 22, we have the many signs of Jesus that Peter speaks and brings up. While, while Jesus walked the earth, they knew his ministry. They heard of the many things that he had done. Some of them, I'm sure many of them, had seen those signs. They knew the life of the Lord. I mean, this is not, you know, a, a long time after Jesus was here. I mean, this is, you know, 50 days after the Lord had risen from the dead. And, of course, we know he died three days prior to that. So this is just a couple of months. And he said, you guys knew it. You guys seen it. You guys heard it. He did all the words and works of God. And then in verse 23, it's interesting how he basically says, and then he died, right? You know his life, and then he died the cross. And Peter, what he does is he gives us the perfect and yet incomprehensible balance between God's sovereignty and human responsibility. He said the cross, the crucifixion, it wasn't a fluke. It was all part of God's plan, his purpose before time began. It, it was not a fluke. It was of the Father. That's what he says there. But at the same time, he says, but it was you. You guys killed the Christ. You murdered the Messiah. You did it. And it was not an easy message to swallow. 
But the truth is, Jesus was innocent, and you guys are guilty. And that's what Peter says right there, you know? And I, and I think that that's what happens when the Holy Spirit, you know, is giving a message. You know, Pastor Chuck, he said, uh, the great need for the church today is preaching that pierces the heart. Not an easy message to say you are guilty. You know, you're, you're sinners. You know, you killed the Christ. You murdered the Messiah. Jesus died at their hands. But of course we know he didn't stay dead. Look what we read in verse 24, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. And you might want to underline that because that's really the, the, the point of that passage, the primary point. David's writing and he says, when I die, my body won't decay. That's what David is writing. When I die, my body won't decay. This corpse will not see corruption. And, and so in verse 28, it even talks about heaven. You have made known to me the ways of life, and you will make me full of joy in your presence. And so it's an interesting passage, right? And so Peter goes on to say, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you at the, at the, of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. You know, when we go to Israel, they have a place where they say, this is where David's tomb was. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on the throne, he, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Again, some would say it was a spontaneous sermon, but I wouldn't be surprised if Peter and the group had studied these things out, right? I mean, here we have a prophecy from Psalm 16, 8 through 11, that the Messiah would be resurrected from the dead, that his body would not see corruption. After his death, he would not decay. You know, David couldn't possibly have been speaking of himself because he did see all those things. And so what's Peter doing? He's giving scriptural support for everything that's going on, right? And so in verse 32, he says, This Jesus God has raised up, of which we were all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, which you now see and here, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, and now he's quoting from Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And I tell you what, that is an amazing sermon. I mean, what Peter shared, if I were to just read it, 
It is so powerful. So powerful. And he's saying right here, you know, we're witnesses. Jesus rose from the dead. We're eyewitnesses. And that's all we have to do as we're sharing the Lord, you know. That's all we have to do is to share the things that, that we've seen. You know, as I think sometimes we think we have to fabricate things or get a little fancy and stuff. No, just study your Bible. You know, try to learn as much of it as you can. And as you're walking your life as a Christian and he does miracles in your life, share them. Share those miracles. Those things that God has done. We're supposed to be witnesses. These guys said, I, we saw him rise. Not only did Jesus rise from the dead, Peter says, he ascended into heaven. And from there, as he seated at the right hand of the Father, you know, then he received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then he poured out this, which you now see and hear. You know, and again, this is a powerful passage, Psalm 110, verse 1, because even Jesus brought this up to the religious leaders. When they were challenging his authority and they were questioning him, he would always, you know, give just great answers, put them in their place, and then he just shared this passage. He said, hey, let me ask you guys a question. What about this passage in Psalm 110, verse 1? The Lord said to my Lord, sit in my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus said, in Matthew 22, 42 through 46. How then does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying the Lord said to my Lord? So if he's a son of David, David would never call him Lord because he wasn't just uh, the, the ancestor, I mean, the, the, you know, the descendant of David. He was the root of David. He was the God of David. He was the Lord of David. You know, and in any Jew, looking at these Psalms, in Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53, you know, Amos, Zechariah 11 and 12, when you just start looking at the passages, it's just so clear that he was indeed the prophesied Christ. And so when all this happens, this amazing sermon by Peter, we read the third question in verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? You know, first they see it, they're like, how can this be? And then they're like, well, what does it mean? And once they find out what it means, what shall we do? And then Peter said to them, repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. You know, and, and, and I just love what they, what, they, what they say there, what we read in verse 37. They were cut to the heart. You know, and I don't know how this works. I don't know if it's Peter's preaching or if it's their openness or... You know, we'll just give God all the credit. But there's a, there's a need for that in the church. I mean, the hearts are dull. They're dull. They can hear the word of God, and it just kind of rolls off their back. It doesn't cut to the heart. And, and I just know this, that without the conviction of the Holy Spirit, whether you're not a Christian or even if you are a Christian, but if you don't have that conviction of the Holy Spirit, if you're not willing to be cut to the heart, 
then you will never be saved and you will never change, even as a Christian. Because sometimes you put up these defenses and, you know, we're, I don't know, we're just not open to the Lord. But when they were cut to the heart, they just said, well, what shall we do? If you're not cut to the heart by the word of God, then you've got leprosy. You can't feel anymore. You really need to get with the Lord and ask him to tenderize your heart. You know, what, what do we need to do? Repent, he says. Peter says, repent of your unbelief. Repent of your sins. Believe in the Lord and be baptized. Now, baptism is an outward expression of an inward condition, and that is, uh, it's an identification with Christ, right? And so, you know, my faith in Jesus and his substitutionary death and resurrection, that's what saves us. And so, you know, what do we do? What, when you guys are out there and you're witnessing on the streets or you're talking to your, you know, friend and Thanksgiving family member, compa, whoever it is, you know, what shall we do? And you tell them, you know, you got to turn and trust. you got to believe and receive. You did all the hard work. All you have to do is make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. That's it, huh? At the end of the day, is Jesus Lord of your life? Is he calling the shots? Is he leading you? Do you trust in him and not your own righteousness? I mean, whoever calls on the name of the Lord. I'll never forget the day that I called on the name of the Lord. Man, I didn't do anything. I didn't, you know, jump through hoops or go through some type of ceremony or anything. I just believed and I made a decision to follow Jesus. You guys, if you haven't done that, I pray that you would do that today. I mean, if anyone here needs to be saved, maybe you're here and you're thinking, well, not me, man, because I'm, I'm pretty messed up. You know, that's why I like what it says right there. Notice again, if you would, look. Um, in verse 29, for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off. And that could be like time, like way down 2,000 years later. But I also think it, it's like the distance. I can't, I'm a, you know, I'm a gang member. I'm a drug addict. You know, I'm addicted to this or I'm a religious person or whatever. I'm just too far. I've messed up too much. And God says, no. <laughs> no one is too far. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord. And so what happens, verse 40, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. And that, if he could say that then, imagine now. And then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. <laughs> That's so cool, huh? The Lord does that work. I don't think it was, it was Peter, you know. I mean, he was a vessel, but it was just the Lord saving people, you know. And I just love the way that 
you know, it even says right there, whoever the Lord our God will call. And so it's not even us. It's just him. And so uh, I prayerfully, all of you guys here are already saved. Um, pray for a second service. <laughs> but just in case you're here and you don't know the Lord and you don't know where you stand, I want you to know that God loves you. And he sent his son to die for you. And he doesn't want you just to play church. It's got to be real. It's got to be in the heart. Cut to the heart. Let Jesus be the Lord and Savior of your life.